0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington. Morning worship at 11 and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org.
1: The Bible in its original setting was, writ- was written to be heard in the original setting, the Old Testament, New Testament. People gather together and listen to God's word being read. So this morning, as we begin this section from Exodus, I would like to just read this to you first. I'd like you to listen to it. And then we're going to come back and unpack it a little bit and make some application to our lives. If you were in Sunday school this morning, we studied up through chapter 32 of Exodus. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, we pray that your word would indeed be heard and we would listen to your word, that it would uh, impact our lives. We would learn to love you more and to serve you more and to walk with you as we consider your word this morning and the stories of Moses with the children of Israel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'd like to read to you from Exodus, I'd like to read the chapter, Exodus 33. I'm going to read this morning from the Torah, the Torah. Uh, This is the Jewish Publication Society's um, translation of the Old Testament Scriptures, the same Masoretic texts that are used for your Scriptures. I want to read from you chapter 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go, depart, you and the people that you have brought from the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go in your midst, since you are a stiff-necked people, lest I destroy you on the way. When the people heard this harsh word, they went into mourning and None put on his finery. and The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelite people, You are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go in your midst, for one moment I would destroy you. Now then, leave off your finery, and, I, and I, I will consider what to do to you. So the Israelites remained stripped of their finery from Mount Horeb on. Now Moses would take the tent and pitch it outside the camp at some distance from the camp. It was called the Tent of Meeting. And whoever sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting that was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, the people would rise and stand, each at the entrance to his tent, and gaze after Moses until he had entered the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, a pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent while he spoke with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud poised at the entrance of the tent, All the people would rise and bow low, each at the entrance of his tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as one speaks to another. And he would then return to the camp. But his attendant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a youth, would not stir out of the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, lead this people forward. But you have not made known to me whom you will send with me. Further, you have said... I have singled you out by name, and you have indeed gained my favor. Now, if I have truly gained your favor, pray, let me know your ways, that I may know you and continue in your favor. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, that is, God, I will go in the lead and will lighten your burden. And Moses said to him, unless you go in the lead, do not make us leave this place. For how would it be known that I have gained your favor, I and your people, unless you go with us, that we may be distinguished, I and your people, from every people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have asked, for you have truly gained my favor, and I have singled you out by name. And Moses said, Oh, let me behold your presence. And God answered, I will make all my goodness pass before you as I proclaim the name Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show compassion to whom I will show compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man may not see me and live. And the Lord said, see, there is a place near me. Station yourself on the rock, and as my presence passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and shield you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. This passage is, of course, very connected to the chapter previous that we considered this morning in our uh, lessons in Sunday school and the topic of that passage in the previous chapter is Israel's sin at Mount Sinai when Moses goes up the mountain to receive the commandments of God. And while he is up there, the people down below under Aaron's leadership panic, change their mind, get all their gold and silver together, put it in the fire, make an idol and worship it among with other idols and gods and say, "You have saved us. You have led us from the promise to the promised land. You have saved us out of Egypt, and you will take us to the land." And there's revelry, and there's dancing, and all lewdness, and everything else that goes with it. And Moses is made aware of this on Mount Sinai. What is happening down below? And this is the backdrop to this chapter 34 of Exodus. And I want to consider this morning the crisis at Mount Sinai. The crisis. For Israel, the crisis for Moses, and dare I say, the crisis for God. So we begin this section, and I want you to you know we need to appreciate that in chapter thirty four as I as I read that section to you, in chapter thirty three as I read that section to you, that God comes to Moses and says, "It's time to leave, leave this place." And you'll notice in verse. Uh, in, In the first verse there, it's kind of ironic. He says, you go up to the land, leave this place, you and the people you have brought out of Egypt. All of a sudden, it's Moses' people. These are the people of God. But now he says, your people, you and these people that are your people, you take them to the land, to the promised land, and the land that I have promised to, to, to take you to. And he lists all the enemies that he will uh, remove from that land when he goes there. But God says, but I'm not going with you. You go, but I'm not going. Because if I went with these people, and if I was in their midst for a moment, I would slaughter them. Now I know this sounds pretty harsh, but, you know, one of the characteristics of God that, that is so clearly portrayed in the Bible is God's holiness. God is holy. God cannot be a part of sin. God is the only who is perfectly holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And these people, he says, you're a stiff necked, you're a sinful people. You're a rebellious people. And if I were in your midst for a moment, my anger would have to, because of my holiness, my anger would have to break out. And I would have to destroy you. So Moses, you and these people you brought out of Egypt, you go, but I'm not going with you. I'm not going in your midst. I will send an angel in front of you. And you can follow that angel. But I'm not going with you. And we have a crisis For the people of Israel, as sinful and stiff-necked as they are described, they have seen God at work. They saw God in the plagues in Egypt. They saw God part the Red Sea. They have seen God work. They have seen Moses lead. And as sinful and rebellious as these people are, they get it right away. And there is a crisis here. And in verse 4 it says, when the people heard these distressing words that Moses brought to them, that God is not going with us, they began to mourn. And no one put on their finery, as the Torah translation says. No one put on their their things that they were dancing and reveling in a little bit. They took all the stuff off, took all the jewelry, all the fine clothes, put on, as you were, the common clothes, and mourned and said to to Moses, "Uh, we can't do this. Because Moses had, had said to them that God said, you are a stiff-necked people, and if I go with you for a moment, I will destroy you, and let me, I'm going to decide what to do. And so in verse 6, the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. And it says in the, in the Torah, in the Jewish translation, from then on they stripped off, they didn't put them back on again. There is a crisis. This is a serious crisis. And these people get it. These people understand that of God's holiness, if God does not go with them, that they are doomed. There is no way. These people, this, this is not an army. This is a whole nation of refugees, if you will. These are former slaves. They have no army. They may have military weapons that they took, maybe when they washed up on the shores of the, of the Red Sea. Um, but they have not had that. They are they are not an organized army. They are a people who are going to be facing ferocious enemies. They are going to have to go through their land. Over a million people are going to have to transverse through these lands where the people don't want them, and the people are ferocious, and the people are known for their military prowess and their armies, and and, and and their terror, if you will. And they haven't got a chance. These people have no chance. On their own. They are stuck at Sinai. They certainly cannot go back to Egypt. They certainly are not welcome in Egypt. After what happened at the Passover. And the destruction of Pharaoh's army. They cannot go forward. Because they have to pass through the enemy's lands. And they cannot do it. they are stuck in the middle of the Sinai Peninsula. I have a book on my shelf in there written by Leonard Bernstein's brother, I believe, called Sinai, the Great and Terrible Wilderness, and describes it as basically a place for tank battles. I mean, you don't want to live in the Sinai Peninsula. It's rocks, rocks, and more rocks. And they are stuck there. They are stuck there. And they realize the severity of their crisis. Sure, the angel will lead them, But is the angel going to fight for them? Is the angel going to deliver them? Is God abandoning them? And they realize what they have done. And we need to appreciate the severity of this crisis for Israel as they come and plead with Moses. What do we do? What are you going to do? Where are you going to take us? In verse 4, we see this, that there is also a crisis for Moses. Moses is their leader. And when it says in verse 4 that, that they heard these things and they, and they didn't know what to do. And Moses, verse 7, used to take the tent and he pitched it outside the camp, the tent of meeting. This is not the tabernacle. Moses had a tent and he pitched it outside the camp. And he would go there now and meet with God. God will not be in their midst. The tabernacle that they are to build When they build it and and put it up, it is to be right in the middle of Israelites' entire camp. And they are to camp around the tabernacle. God is in their midst. But the tabernacle is not built. And it doesn't look like at this point it's going to be built. Instead, Moses has to go outside the camp. And he has to meet with God and God's presence come there. And the people realize that. And and they see the presence of God when Moses comes out, this tent of meeting, but it is not the tabernacle, it is not God's presence in their camp. And in verse 12, and interestingly, verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. We need to pause there for a moment. Because what does God say later on in this chapter that I read to you? What does he say? No one what? No one can see God's face and live. He says, Moses, you can't see my face. I can't show you my face. If I do, you'll die. But it says here that Moses would speak to God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So what is it? Does he see God's face or does he not see God's face? And we'll wrap that up in, in a little bit and make a comment on that. But I, I want you to notice this, this, this description of Moses. As a man who speaks to God like a friend. I mean, think of this. This is the same holy God whose anger burst out against these people. He is so holy. And yet Moses dares to speak to him as he would to to one of us. He's that intimate. He's that close to God. that He he talks to God. And, And he challenges God. And he speaks to God. And he speaks his heart to God. And, and this is the, at the end of the story. It says that at, at the end of Deuteronomy, when the story of Moses comes to an end at Mount Nebo. We'll, we'll stand on Mount Nebo next May, some of us. Um, and look over the land of Israel from where he looked and where he was buried. And it says in that, in that portion, it says, Moses was a man who knew God face to face. Think of that. He knew God face to face to face. And he knew God so well that he dared to say to him in verse 12, we have a crisis for the people of Israel and we have a crisis for Moses. Moses said to the Lord, verse 12, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor. But if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor. Remember, this nation is your people. What did God say to him? Moses, you take your people that you brought out of Egypt. And Moses corrects him And says, God, these are your people. These are your people. Verse 14, the Lord, the Lord replied, My presence will not go with you. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. But I'm not going with this people. And look what Moses says. This is I, I titled this sermon on one condition. Someone says, to "You, I'll do this on one condition." That means that nothing else, no matter how important it matters, but this one is the sine qua non. This one matters. This is one condition. And Moses says, "God, if your presence does," God says, "I'm not going." And Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? You read in the previous chapter where God says to Moses, we saw this in Sunday school this morning. Moses, stand back. I'm about to destroy this whole nation. Stand back, Moses. Get out of the way. These people are so sinful, I'm going to destroy them. But I'm going to save you. And with you and your, and, and your family, I'm going to start a whole new people of God. A whole, it's an offer. It's a test. And Moses says, God, don't do it. He dares to challenge God. Say, God, don't do this. Don't do that. If you do, if you do, your name is at stake. Don't do this. And Moses says to God, God, if you're not going, we're not going. Don't send me. I'm not going. There's a crisis for Moses. One of the reasons we're studying the life of Moses is we want to explore together the growth, the, the, the growth of this man's First of all, his, his own spiritual growth, his relationship with God. This is the same man who stood there at the burning bush and, and said, God, God, I'm not going down there. I can't do that. I, I'm not going down there. I can't lead these people. I can't talk. They won't listen. I'm too old. I have nothing to say. Send anybody, but don't send me. And we've seen this man grow before our eyes as we studied his life and the the few times we've had together. And we've seen this man who doesn't even want to go back to his people, has become so identified with them as their leader. He's become so identified with these people that whatever happens to them, he wants to happen to himself because he is their leader. He is their man. He is their shepherd. He went from shepherding sheep to shepherding over a million people. And he says, God, if it's them, it's me. I'm not, I can't do this. I can't go unless you go. If you're going to destroy them, you're going to destroy me. It's a crisis for Moses. But I want to tell you something, friends. Any of, any of you here who are in any leadership responsibility, whether it's working in our children's church, our kids, in our youth program, In your place of employment, parents, in your families, the greatest leadership role you are ever going to have. Most important leadership role you will ever have in your life. One of the godly characteristics of a godly leader is his or her identification with those being led. It's called servant. It's a servant's heart. You know, I, I'll say this: I've been around long enough now. Increasingly, I've been full-time Christian ministry for 38 years, as a pastor, associate pastor, and as I look back over my life, I don't know how many books, how many seminars, how many things have been sent, how many things I've been invited to, to teach us about leadership, and it's almost always about you know, dynamic leadership and growth. And and we all want that. I understand that. But the starting point for the Christian leader is to follow our Lord Jesus Christ. And what did he say? I did not come to what? Be served, but to serve. Listen, friends, the starting point for any leadership is that of a servant's heart. That's because you are so identified with those God has put in your care, whether it's your own children or grandchildren, whether it's a small group, whether it's the nursery, whether it's the youth group, whether it's a mission team, whether it's in your place of employment, your Bible study group, that God has put under your care. You are so identified that your heart is to serve them. And Moses, Moses is an amazing man of God. There's There's no doubt at the end of the story, at the end of his life, It says this about nobody else in the Bible. In fact, no one else is to say, Moses, I know you by name. We are on first name basis, Moses. Yahweh and Moshe. Because Moses understood what God had called him to do. And he would not separate himself from the fate of his people because he was their leader. You have to love this guy. You have to love this man, and you need to appreciate the severity of this crisis for the people and for israel and dare i say and I, and I hope you appreciate this, I'm not trying to be irreverent or irrelevant <laughs> okay but there's a there's a crisis for God here now he is sovereign, I understand that, but he he tests. He puts out a test. He put out a test to Moses. says, Moses, stand back. I'm going to destroy these people and start with you. As we studied in our class today, and Cody read from the note in his Bible, that this was a test of Moses. God really wasn't going to do that because it would go against the promises He had made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, and to the various tribal heads, to Judah, to Levi. And so, and so it was a test. And God allows Himself to be in this test too because because Moses... If you don't mind me saying, throws the gauntlet down to God. It says, God, if you do this, your name is at stake. If you destroy these people, yes, we are a wicked people, but remember, they are your people. They're not—they're my people too, but they're your people first. And if you destroy them, he has already reminded God that if you do this as he does in chapter, 33, it, chapter 32. If you do this, then all the other nations on earth are going to say, see, he's no different than any other god. He's just an idol like the rest of them. He couldn't deliver his people. In fact, he is precocious. He got angry. He destroyed them. He lost his temper. He's no different than all the other gods that we all worship. He is no one true God. Lord, your name is at stake in this. If you do this, this is a crisis. And verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, "I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name." And as it says in chapter 32, God relented. That's the word uses. God changed his mind. Yes, God is sovereign. I understand that, but it also says God relented. This was a test for Moses as well. It was a crisis for the people. It was a crisis for the leader who loved his people and was so identified with them that he would, go, he would go through the fire with them. And it was a crisis of God's name. And God says, yes, Moses, you're right. You're right. I will do what you asked. I will go with this people. As we come to the end of this, Moses dares. He knows God. He knows, he knows what he's asking. He knows what he's asking. And he says, show me your glory. God, I need to see your glory. Your kavod. I need to see your. I need to see your presence. You have to show it to me. God could have said right then and there, Moses, don't ask that again. Don't you ever dare ask that of me. No one else has ever asked that Moses, and I have never done this for anybody else, and he hadn't. Moses talks to God as he would talk to a friend because they have become so intimate. He knows he knows God. He says, God, show me your glory. And the reason for this is you've been keep telling me. What I have to do. But I have to see your glory. I have to know. They have to know. That you really mean this. That you are really with this. And look at God's response to him. Verse 19. And the Lord said, Moses, I will. I will cause all. And notice this. You see what Moses is asking for. Show me you. Show me your face. I want to see you. And God's response is, Moses, I want you to know me. It's not important that you see me. What's important is that you know me. And look what he offers Moses. He doesn't offer to show him his face. Because he says, You can't do that and live, Moses, but I will show you this. I will go past you, and as I go past, I'm going to speak. I'm going to hide you in this, I'm going to hide you in the and I'm going to cover your face and you're not going to see me until I go by. But as I go by, you will hear me. And here's what you are going to hear. I'm going to proclaim my mercy, my compassion. But you can't see me. And in chapter 34, verse 1, this is exactly what happens. Look what it says. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two more stone tablets. Do this again. Write out the ten laws again. You broke those laws literally by throwing them down and crushing them. And Moses does this. Goes up to Mount Sinai. And in verse 5, the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. Stood there with Moses. God stood there somehow with Moses. And he proclaimed his name, Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses. And as he passed by, and Moses can't see him. He's hidden in the cleft of the rock, and God's hand is hiding him. But he does hear. You see, he wanted to see. God wanted him to know. And here's what he proclaimed. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, not forgiving wickedness and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers, the third and fourth generation. And Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped, O Lord. If I have found favor in your eyes, let the Lord go with us. Even though we're a stiff-necked people, God, please go with us to this land. You know, the, the Jewish tradition on festivals and holidays, not on the Sabbath, but on festivals and holidays, if you go to a synagogue behind the pulpit area, the speaker's platform is what's called the Ark. And in that ark are the Torah scrolls. And the rabbis go back, or the president of the synagogue, and they open the curtains and they take the Torah scrolls out. I remember going to my dad's synagogue and watching this one time. And they take the scrolls out and they walk around the congregation. And the Trainer would go like this and kiss the scroll, and you do Graham go around and they kiss the scroll and bring the scrolls back. And on, on holidays and festivals, when they do that tradition they recite the 13 characteristics of God from this passage. You have to figure out how they get 13 out of that. But there's 13 characteristics of God that he gave to Moses about his compassion, his kindness, his forgiveness, his righteousness, his punishing sin. And they recite those 13 recitations of God's character as the scrolls go around and come back and are opened up and are read. It's a beautiful story. And I think it's worth us remembering that the important thing for Moses was not that he actually looked at God with his eyes, but he knew God face to face by knowing him. By knowing him. And that's what he was, a man who knew God face to face, but he never saw the face of God. You know, as I thought about this passage, it's so easy for us to to criticize these people. It's so easy for us to say, what is wrong with these people? How could they be so sinful? How could they be so rebellious? How could they be so wicked? How could they just turn from God because Moses hasn't come down the mountain? How could they do that? And You know, I know myself and you know yourself. Now I want to ask you a question. How is it possible that we are even here today? The Bible says there is a spiritual warfare going on. That means that our enemies are so much more powerful than, than we'll ever be. They are spiritual hosts of the heavenlies, the Bible says. Satan is like a roaring lion going around seeking whom he may devour. The opposition is so strong. What are the chances? What are the chances that you or I could survive those onslaughts? Knowing our human condition. Knowing how susceptible we are to temptation, to sin, and to forgetting about God at times. You know what God has given to us? Moses knew if God was not in their midst... They could not go. It would never happen. They would be destroyed. I want to close with this, friends. One of the cardinal, if you don't mind me saying, cardinal doctrines that our church, the Brean Bible Church, was founded around. Um, there are different opinions, but I have some close friends, who are, some who are not here anymore, that were, were there. And when our founding pastor started speaking from Ephesians, uh, some of the things he was teaching it did not go over so well, and and one of the things that that our church was founded around, and we felt th- this is important enough that, that that we have to we have to stand for this one. This is one we cannot agree to disagree on when it comes to who we are as a church family in terms of our doctrinal statement. And from Ephesians chapter one, I can read it to you in verse thirteen. The Apostle Paul says, And you also, Jew and Gentile, were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, what? To the praise of His glory. We teach, and we will never apologize for that, we do teach the doctrine of eternal security to our church. I know there are a lot of questions and, and so forth, but Paul says right here you and I have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise when? Until the day of redemption. In the Roman world, when the emperor or the governor sent out a document, an envelope, and stamped it with the Roman seal, nobody dared tamper with that. It would be your life if you did. We have been sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Why? To the praise of His glory. No one can ever say, God, you couldn't do it. God, you couldn't hang on to these people. You're no different than the rest of the gods. We are sealed. And just as Israel had God in their midst, and was the only way they made it to the promised land, and there is that account when, the, when His presence left their temple and they did lose the land. The only way is because I, to no credit of myself, but only by God's grace, I have the presence of God in me. I don't get it. Oh, I understand it. I don't fully understand it. I get it and that is true. And you have the presence of God in you. And we have the presence of God together. God is in our midst. If He wasn't, what are the odds you and I would be here today? Not very good. And this is why later on in Ephesians, Paul says it again. Grieve not the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of Redemption. God has called us. God wants to reveal Himself to us. God wants us to know Him. And He has given us His presence and guaranteed that that is the only guarantee that assures that we belong to Him. The presence of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Praise God for His love, His compassion. As much as you and I would love to see God, come on up, guys. It's much more important that we know God and that we know His love for us and that we have experienced His love and that you have experienced His love because of the power of the presence of God in our lives. Let's close our service and sing our final hymn, guys
2: and Alex Pierce and I had gone to Asia back in May and uh, we went for the conference and Janae, can you come down to the front please? <laughs> yeah, she doesn't know I'm doing this <laughs> um, Actually, nobody does um, Anyway, uh, when we went to the trip to Africa um, or to Asia Tim, Judy, Tim and Judy Heath had led us a team around Asia and uh, Janae Brown happens to be here today and she's getting ready to go back to Asia in a week for two years and Janae, welcome. <laughs> so she was part of our team, and I'll tell you, with 11 people not knowing each other, we were all a, a really valuable asset to each other. And Janae here, she just graduated high school. Just right in fact, she didn't even graduate before she went on a trip. She had to go back to graduate. And so and she was one of the youngest members of our team, I believe you were. And uh, so she's here today kind of saying goodbye to all of her friends from camp. She knows all the youth kids here from uh, from our camp here anyway, and can you briefly describe what you're going to do for the next two years in Asia? Okay, so I'm going to
0: college there. It's IGBI, International Grace Bible Institute, and this is where I will be getting my Bible degree and for missionary training. Oh, my mom. Um, It's it's a really neat experience for me actually. It's just a a whole lot of new beginnings and I'm really excited. Um, We'll have a lot of outreach ministry opportunities. My worship leader is actually over there right now teaching English and her husband is also going to this school too. Um, and so, you know, we're just having, um, we're going to have a lot of opportunities. And since she's an English teacher, I'll get to be with the kids a lot as well. Um, you know, Bible studies, um, worship, fellowship, and it's just, it's really a new Great experience for me. I've always loved missions and I've always had that as a passion. Um, And so it's just really cool to see it all finally working together and, you know, seeing God weave it in my life since the beginning. And I, you know, never knew it. And so um, here we are by God's grace leading. um, And, you know, He guides and directs you. And I just pray that you never miss that opportunity.
2: I was so grateful to get to know this young lady on the trip. Um, along with the other 11 members that you know from all over the area. But for being from Grants Pass, Oregon, you know, a nice small place, and now she's going to extend herself to go out there. So I thought it fitting, you know, just coming off Missions Week, so if we can get Pastor to go ahead and pray for her send-off, okay. and then at least we can all be in prayer for her as she's mic. on this trip. So please, thank you. Okay.
1: I got my mic. Oh, you're right, you're right, Janae. We are all here by God's grace here at this place today. And I just also want you to know that our mission pledge is $93,500, $93, For our mission goal of 130,000, so thank you. Continue to pray about your part, and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we lift today up to you. We thank you, Lord, for young people, for their desire to serve you, their desire to commit their lives, Lord, to stretch out and uh, be a vessel of your love and compassion. We know that she will have wonderful opportunities, but we know it's a long way away. It's a long way from home, and we pray that your Holy Spirit goes with her as we know he will. Go before her, prepare the way, and we look forward to hearing wonderful reports, Lord, of wonderful ministries and lives that are touched. So bless this young lady, and Lord, keep her in your care. And we thank this morning that we can share in commissioning her to this work and be a part of her work. And we pray this in Christ our Savior's name, all God's people say together, Amen. 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 Lord bless you.